A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA. Welcome to my Locavore Podcast. I'm Ros White and this is the podcast where we dig deep into the stories behind the hundreds of locally sourced artisan, bespoke and innovative products available to you in one location at White's IGA on the Sunshine Coast. Our Locavore program was officially launched in 2013 to showcase and highlight to our customers where their food comes from and help connect them to the families who create it. The Ugly Duckling is a fairy tale by Danish poet and author Hans Christian Andersen. It was first published in 1843. The story begins when a mother duck's eggs hatch, but one of the little birds is perceived by the other birds and animals on the farm as an ugly little creature. He wanders sadly from the barnyard and lives with wild ducks and geese. One day, the duckling sees a flock of migrating wild swans. He is delighted and excited, but he cannot join them for he is too young, too ugly, and he cannot fly. He is shocked when the swans welcome and accept him, only to realise by looking at his reflection in the water that he had not been a duckling, but a signet all this time. The flock takes to the air, and now the beautiful swan spreads his gorgeous large wings and takes flight with the rest of his new family. Why am I telling you this story? because it is a powerful representation of today's locavore story. Michelle Masher is the founder of Ugly Duck Fine Foods. Michelle is a clever and resourceful lady who is saving unusable food from landfill and creating unique and delicious solutions to the food waste problem. It is my sincere pleasure to welcome you, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Roz. I'm so excited to be here. And I just, you totally surprised me just now by telling the beautiful story of the ugly duckling. That's exactly the point of what we do. Yeah. Like we do take the ugly produce and we turn it into something beautiful. Absolutely, you do. I, I love that you just told that story because yeah. some people don't know it and... We often have to explain it. So, yeah, thank you for that. Ah, my pleasure. Absolutely. (laughs) No, well, it is. It does really represent your story beautifully. And that's what we're going to dig deep into today, Michelle, so that we can allow people to understand about the beautiful, fine products that you produce, the quality, fresh, beautifulness and the flavours, but it's actually got so much meaning behind it and such an incredibly powerful story about sustainability, looking after our planet. Anyway, let's dig into it because it's one of my favourite stories. I love it. Thanks, Thank you. And as we know, there's so much waste, but you discovered this and you discovered that a lot of fruit and vegetables is just very unfortunately anything that's of non-standard size or mm-hmm. shape or colour is left to rot in fields yeah. and which is causing an enormous problem to farmers and commercial growers, you know, big or small. Yeah. And with no market for this product to find its way to market, it just sits there and ends up in landfill. But you have discovered a way to be able to fight against wasted produce. Mm-hmm. And turn it into something absolutely amazing. 
take us on the journey. Tell me how your inspiring and meaningful story began and the Ugly Duck food rescue story. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just go back a little bit. My personal background, I'm born and raised, I was born and raised in Germany and my grandparents had a dairy farm and the dairy farm came with an orchard and a big garden and I was really lucky to grow up with homegrown food, home butchered meat, raw milk, like the, the works, everything. And to me, produce is produce. I grew up with using everything. We would make jam every year. We would have a larder full of jam. And it was just this beautiful event that my grandmother would do, my mother, me. We would all make jams from the fruit out of the garden. And we would never think of, oh, no, look at this um, raspberry. It just doesn't look quite right. Let's not use it. We would use everything. You would, wouldn't you? I mean, yes. you've grown Particularly it. when I grew up on a farm as well, and I totally understand what you mean, where you're completely resourceful and using everything, and everything has a purpose. There is a yeah. way that you can recreate food or create food. And it takes such a long time to grow anything. Yeah. If any, anybody ever tried growing carrots or whatever, like, it takes a long time for you from planting the seed to harvest. You put so many resources in. You, you water, you do the weeding, you do the fertilizing, you look after your plant. And after a very long time, you finally get to harvest and you're proud of what you've grown. You want to use it. So... With that background, when I was in Australia, I worked as a personal trainer for a long time and I started to just burn out a little bit. And I turned towards my personal passion, which is gardening and growing trees and growing fruit. And I started to visit small scale farmers in the area to learn more about what they're doing. And so you're in Australia by this time, Michelle, weren't you? And what area were you in at that time? Were you where you are now in the the Sunshine Coast or was it another part of Australia when you? No, this was here. So we have property in Kandanga, which is outside of Gympie. And there is lots of small scale farmers in the area. And I was able to just go to lots of farm visits and speak to the farmers and learn more about how they grow their fruit. Because I know a lot about growing fruit in European climate, but it's subtropical here. So Mm -hmm. I'm very interested in learning more. And once I started talking to all those farmers, I've learned that they put all the effort into growing. And then at the very last stage after harvest, they end up with tons of fruit that they couldn't sell. It was just mind gobbling. Like I could not, I, I, I still don't have words for it. Mm. I don't know what's going on. Like why are we not using this fresh produce that's locally grown? It has, again, all the resources poured into it. And then there is just small imperfections that stop it from going further. I learned that fruit that is too small or too big doesn't really find a market. Fruit so that the that taste and the flavour and the quality taste, of the product flavor, is still there. Absolutely. It's just the it's fresh abnormalities with its... It could be the colouring. Like yeah. I work with a um, rhubarb farmer who can't sell his rhubarb if there's too much green on the stem. Mm. We all want to buy red rhubarb stems. Mm. However, it's normal that rhubarb also grows green. Still tastes exactly the same. But grandma would have put that into her <laughs> rhubarb pie and we would have all licked our lips and like, yeah. oh, yummy. I can remember as kids, the veggie garden, you'd pull out, I mean, we'd actually think it was quite hysterical. You'd pull out a carrot and it'd have two two, like, yes. two bodies or whatever. And yeah. 
And, you know, it was quite intriguing and that would always go in the pot, wouldn't it? I mean, it gets peeled, chopped up on the dinner table that night and you wouldn't even question it. But consumers are probably, we think that we can't put on our shelves product with imperfections because people buy with their eyes. It's a, yes. it's a bit of a retail sort of a, a mantra, you know, people yeah. buy with their, it's always got to be appealing and yes, have beautiful, yeah, yeah, fresh, exactly. big displays of fresh, glorious food where people are sort of drawn mm, to. And of so this is completely in contrast to that, understanding that though, but then creating yeah. something that is perfect, which yes. is your your range of beautiful, fresh quality relishes, pastes, preserves, chutneys. So you create and craft this distinctive range of beautiful products, and many of which have won prestigious awards. It's amazing. But it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that's a real ugly duckling story. And of course, that's the name of your brand, Ugly Duck Fine Foods. So you source the product fresh from the farm, the imperfect in surplus produce. Yeah. And then, so you have the taste and the freshness of your products, but what are the other ingredients? What are the other things that go with, what are the essences that go into creating the ugly duck fine foods, the relishes, the chutneys and the preserves that you do create? What brings so I, it to um, life? I don't have a background in commercial food production. I'm a home cook with passion. So I developed my recipes like a home cook would. I would make it delicious. And I pour a lot of effort and a lot of passion into my cooking. And we cook in small batches like you would at home. Like our kettle is a little bit bigger than the home pot, but it's still very small. And that allows us to really focus on our ingredients and cook in a short amount of time. So we we can keep the freshness of our ingredients and we don't need to use anything else than what a home cook would use. We don't, we're not a food manufacturing mm. factory. So you actually just let the products sing. So the yeah. product is quite pure. So if you're a vegan or gluten intolerant or you have special dietary requirements, there will be things in your range that would be quite right for you if you make a lifestyle Absolutely. choice or if you have an intolerance, quite right for you to be able to consume because they're pure. The, yes. The products are made products are gluten-free. All of them are vegan-friendly. We do use sugar, but we use less sugar. And when possible, we use raw sugar. So our uh, relishes and chutneys, they all have raw sugar. And we use less salt. And we just, we really make the, the ingredients shine. We often hear from our customers that what it says on the label, you taste it. Mm. So the flavor of the fruit, you can really pick it up. It tastes like strawberry. It tastes like beetroot. It's fresh flavours. And So you grew up in Germany. What part of Germany did you grow up? I grew up in Bavaria, which is really close to the mountains, to the Alps. And is it cold, a cold climate? Do you have sort of hot yeah, and cold? We have hot and cold. We have beautiful winters with snow and ice and like we can go ice skating on the lakes and skiing in the mountains and in summer it gets really quite warm and we can go swimming in the in the lakes and bike riding and yeah it's beautiful. So did that alter the types of crops and food? You're a farm girl, grew up on the land so did that alter the types of crops and food that you were growing? You know winter, summer, what sort of crops were they? What sort of? Yeah so in our our climate, you only grow your crops during summer. In winter, everything is covered in snow or ice. So you would really make sure that you make the most of your 
summer and autumn harvest because throughout winter there's nothing fresh coming in. So the preserving makes a lot of sense in Germany when you can't go into the garden and harvest anything, you would turn to your larder and eat the fruit that you have preserved from the summer, bring the summer onto your table during winter. So I remember fruit from the orchard, there was certain apple trees. I don't remember the names of the varieties, but certain apples my grandma had specifically for keeping in winter. She would put them under the under the roof of her house on newspaper and we had to lay them all out and they weren't allowed to touch each other. So each apple needed its own spot. And that Except particular the bad apple, he had yeah, to go in the naughty corner. The, the bad apple wouldn't <laughs> then spread to the other apples, but they would keep throughout the whole winter and she would then send us upstairs and get some apples and we cook some apple strudel from from the apples but we really had to preserve the summer crop so we had something fresh on the table of course you could go to the shops and buy something that's imported but like we would never do that we would never go and buy imported produce i still don't like right now in the shops you see asparagus from from mexico yeah what do we really have to have produce flown halfway around the world just so you can nibble on a few spears of asparagus in the middle of winter. And maybe that's no. an old-fashioned mindset because we there's been an expectation. Consumers have an expectation to be able to source things like asparagus, avocados all year round. Mm-hmm. They want it. They want it available to them all year round. Yeah. So the only way you can make that available to them is to actually, when it's out of season, yes. is to import that product. But what we're trying to do is enhance enjoying the local flavours and the seasonal produce because it, it's a, a fresher quality product. Absolutely. But I just want to go back to your childhood and growing up and what you're talking about there, which is really interesting because if you already as a child had that mindset about preserving the food that wasn't accessible or available to you in the winter, perhaps maybe was that your inspiration behind making imperfect food perfect? Yes, I guess so. It, that's how I grew up. That It's me. Like it's That's deep inside of me. I truly believe it's the right thing to do to make the most of what you're given and use everything that you have. And when I was looking for a new career, I turned to the tradition of family jam making because, I don't know, it just felt right. We're so (laughs) pleased you did, Michelle. Thank you. (laughs) So you launched kind of about 2000 and what year was about 2015? 2015, I started the business without having any idea. I was a personal trainer. Mm. I was a photographer before a personal trainer. And you just drew on your childhood upbringing in Germany, your family favourite recipes. But what inspired you to kind of go, okay, obviously you'd done that, been there, done that with the PT thing. You went, okay, I've got to put that to one side because that's not good for me. Yeah. Did you start making these beautiful products to fill in your day or was this, was there an intention from the beginning to create what you have now and what we know as ugly duck fine foods? So in my private life, I always make jams for myself because I just, I just enjoy eating it and that's how I grew up. But when I decided that I was just really touched by seeing all the food waste and immediately I thought, why are we not using it? Why is nobody interested in this? There is a solution. Obviously, 
you make jam from this. So I thought, oh, well, nobody else wants to do it. I'll do it. I'll just do it. it. How hard can it be to start a food company? And I did. So I started food company. I made jams and I went to the farmer's markets. I think it had like 25 different flavors of jam. Goodness, that's quite a range <laughs> to start. Yes. Oh, I was going crazy. I was having such a good time in the kitchen creating like <laughs> new flavors every so week. So you got flavors like fig and fennel, the quince paste, the beetroot. What's your beetroot relish? Beetroot and rhubarb. Rhub- yes. yes. What a combination of flavours that would be. I mean, yep. how tantalising. Beetroot yep. and rhubarb. Yeah. Beautiful to serve on a, a shishiri platter or a cheese platter on or a burger. Put a, a burger or a sandwich. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. So you're at the farmer's markets. You had a range of about 20 products. And then, so what, how long was it before you kind of got up and rolling and went to the markets and then from? And uh, it was a slow start because I um, very quickly realised people kept asking me for chutney and all I had was jam. And, and I had to Google what chutney was. I had no idea. We don't have chutney in Germany. So I had to learn about chutney making. And so I then offered more savoury flavours, less sweet flavours. And slowly, bit by bit, we got picked up by small cafes and shops in the area that would stock us. In the Kandanga area, in the Gympie sort of Kalula area. Yep, in the Kandanga area, in Brisbane area, we do Brisbane markets. And then in 2018, we got selected to do a accelerator program, the Grow Coastal program, Mm. and that was a game changer for us. We learned so much and we made great connections. That was a 12-week program run run through the Innovation Centre at the Mm -hmm. university, wasn't it, for foodpreneurs, entrepreneurs, startups to give them a little bit of guidance and understanding about things like logistics, distribution, yeah. you know, financials, all the aspects of, of a business, wasn't it? And packaging, yeah. all those packaging, really important things. branding, yeah. everything. It was yeah. the whole deal and it was a game changer and we re- rebranded um, through what I've learned at Grow Coastal and we had the opportunity to pitch to the White's IGA group. How fabulous. And then White's IGA became our first major stockist. Isn't that just incredible? Oh, that brings tears to my eyes, Michelle. I remember. It was just, yeah. I so remember your, you know, bringing your product on for the very first time and taking such pride because it's a Locavore product and this is exactly what the Locavore program is. It's about embracing and showcasing and highlighting particularly new and emerging suppliers that are really exciting and the ads that diversity into what we offer to our customers, Mm. but actually creating new pathways for new market entrants that can be exciting. And we help each other. You know, it's it's a great relationship, great partnership. You helped us so much. Thrilled to bits. Once we got into the white side GAs and we were being continued to be stocked in there and the product sold. You're still in there with pride today. Yes. That was proof of concept for other shops and we could use the White's IGA name and say, hey, we're stuck in the Whites. Mm. Don't you want to stock us too? <laughs> and I said, oh, you see, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was the start. And I think now we have like 70 stockers. Wow. Are they and all over Australia? Where are your stockers mainly? between the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. We do have a few outside of Queensland, but not too many at this stage, just here. And what's your future? What's your future aspirations? Do you want to continue to grow? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, we do. Like we really want to make a big impact with the food waste. 
And the more stockists we can have, the more product we can sell, the more food we can save. So for us, the vision is really to go, we want to go really big, to really make an impact. Like when you look at how many tons of produce there is that do get wasted, you have so much potential to grow and we want to, we really want to make a difference. And you are already and you will. Let's have a talk about some of those statistics, mm. Michelle, because you report on your website in 2017, 795,000 tonnes of fruit produced in Australia was rejected at farm level. Globally, almost half of all fruit and vegetables produced are wasted. That is horrible. Isn't it? And approximately 8% of greenhouse gases heating the planet are caused by food waste. In Australia alone, over 5 million tonnes of food end up as landfill every year. It's, if that doesn't motivate you to want to create yeah. change, beautiful fresh food rotting in our fields, yeah. what can we do about that as companies or even as just everyday people? How can we be a part of this change to be able to turn this around and repurpose ingredients and reduce food waste and reduce landfill and help our beautiful, happy planet? Yeah, that's the big question. <laughs> I see, I've seen a lot of change in the last few years from companies who everybody is getting more aware of the waste they create and companies are, are starting to look for solutions. They see that it's not waste, it's a resource. How can we use it? So that's great. There's a lot of fantastic new things happening. There's a lot of change in the in the shops and supermarkets as well. Yes, stocking our product is a great start, but then you see all of a sudden there's not just perfect fresh fruit on offer. There is the specs are opening up. Um, farmers are allowed to bring slightly over or undersized fruit into the shops. And I guess the important thing for the consumer is to start buying that produce. When you go and shop for your vegetables, choose that apple that nobody else wanted because it might have a little dent in because mm. it got bruised while it was being harvested. Once the shop owners see that the produce is selling, the imperfect produce is selling, I'm sure you are all happy to bring in more of that produce. Mm. But at the end of the day, if the consumer chooses only to pick up that perfect piece of fruit and leaves the slightly imperfect fruit behind, mm. then what's the point of bringing it into the shop? So I'd really, I'd love to see more consumers being a little bit less picky about yeah. the perfection of their fresh produce. Um, I think it would help if instead of doing one massive weekly shop, go two or three times and buy a little bit less, mm. buy just a few items, use all of those items and then go shopping again. Because if you buy too much, your fridge is full, you lose control and then you have to short shelf life of fruit and vegetables. And by the end of the week, they're not good anymore and they get tossed. So yeah. I think that could that could make a, a difference. Yeah, no, that's right. And thinking, getting creative with, with recipes at home to be able to, you yeah. know, love your leftovers yes. and make a quiche or a, or a savoury mince or something where you can kind of chop it all up and put it all in there Absolutely. and add to the flavours. I mean, right yeah. now, you know, soup, yeah. risotto. But back to customers shopping in store. And I guess it's a, it requires a mindset shift, doesn't it? Because when mm. shoppers do come in, they do expect high excellence, you know, retail standards, but they also, they have an expectation that when they're buying quality, fresh goodness that is absolute value for money yeah. and they want to be able to take that product home, consume it and customer the customer experience from my point mm -hmm. of view as a grocer is the customer experience 
really continues until that food is on their dinner plate at home and they've eaten the product. Once that product is consumed, that is actually the end of the customer experience, isn't it? Because it's about the quality and the freshness of the product. But I guess what we're saying is let's open our minds as consumers and understand that it doesn't have to be a perfect shape or a perfect colour to still eat well, because Mm. if we're choosing to consume food that is all-encompassing, it's going to do some really good things. It's going to be able to look, I mean, you look around and it's very topical. People are, we're all talking about climate change. We're all talking about Mm. how to protect the planet, planet planet-friendly food. And the best way to start with to eat planet-friendly food is to become a locavore, where you're eating fresh and local. And that helps to reduce greenhouse emissions and all those sorts of things because of it's low, it's freighted the short amount of possible kilometres. You know, it's grown half an hour from our front door and, you know, consumers can eat it within 24 hours of it being picked. So let's talk about the process of creating the beautiful batches, small batches that you do. Let's say we're making strawberry jam or that beautiful fig and fennel. (laughs) paste, which I'm a bit partial to. So you go. We get the fruit. How do you crunch? You go and just get a basket and put it in the basket with your your gumboots on on the farm, trumping around, swatting away the flies (laughs) and crawling under trees in the old ute. How does it That's how it started. But by now I'm lucky enough to to be able to buy more than just a basket load of imperfect produce. It depends on the produce that we get. We have... um, a lot of fruit that we buy by the pellet and we have the farmer delivering it straight into our kitchen and we cook it up, you know, straight away. And then how, how long does it take to kind of create a batch and then package it and then freight it out? And how soon could it be on my shelves, for instance, it's for our customers really to enjoy? It's really fast because we are so local. Like we do source most of our fruit from the area. So we let's say we get get delivery on Monday, we cook it on Tuesday by the end of Tuesday, it's packaged, it's labelled, it's in its box. It can be shipped on Wednesday and you can have it on your shelf on Thursday. Your customer can buy it on Thursday. It's fresh and it's local and it's delicious. There we go. That's what we're talking about, <laughs> folks. That's pure, fresh and local. That is a true local all product. Absolute local ingredients, uh, travelled the shortest amount of miles, fresher than fresh, quality goodness made by a beautiful local family or by, in this case, beautiful Michelle. What a glorious story. (laughs) I love it so, so much. When you're you're thinking about creating new flavours, where do you get your inspiration? So the rhubarb and beetroot. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't be thinking about (laughs) putting those two, combining those two flavours, but here you have done it successfully. Where do you get your inspiration from? Do you forage around in the forest and try and, you know, Um, sort of? It's a a talent I discovered. I don't know where it's coming from, but I seem to be really good with coming up with original recipes. I also have a nectarine and turmeric. We have a pear pink pepper. It kind of, it just comes to me. Yeah. So that's your creative. Yeah. I've always been an instinctive cook. I don't follow recipes at home. I have a look in the pantry. I see what's in the fridge and I just throw things together. A lot of the recipes happen because the produce is coming into my kitchen at the same time. Farmers rock up and say, hey, I have this problem. That's what happened with the um, the nectarine and turmeric. I was cooking just a plain old beautiful nectarine jam. And at the end of the day, I had um, Farmer Chessie come in with a basket full of turmeric. 
And he said, hey, I heard what you're doing. I have all these offcuts of turmeric. You reckon you can use it? And I'm like, I don't know, turmeric, I'll have a go. I just put it in my jam and it was amazing. And that's how it happened. So oftentimes I go with, if it grows together, it goes together. Ah, that's (laughs) awesome. Oh, I love it. So how would we use your beautiful nectarine and turmeric? Is it a paste or a jam? It's a paste. Paste. Yeah. So how would how would I use that? How would how would I consume that at home? What how what would how would it infl- enhance? Super my- versatile. Yeah. It's sweet in taste, but it pairs amazingly with savory flavors. So you think ham. Put it down instead of say mustard on your ham sandwich with cheese. Make it a toasty. Amazing. You could also have it on a cheese platter with um, like an aged cheddar or warm up some brie and then drizzle some over that. And it just, it goes with a lot of savoury flavours. And glass of vino. Always. <laughs> uh, or we could have a turmeric and nectarine margarita or something with it. People do that. Yeah. They put um, marmalades into their cocktails and yeah. shake it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I love it. Michelle, a lot of people have or live by a mantra or a motto in their life, which kind of sustains them or inspires them, I suppose, in their everyday. Have you got a mantra or a motto that you live by? So my company motto is I'm not ugly. I'm just imperfect on the outside. As a like a personal mantra, I don't really have one. I'm just I'm I'm a positive person. I think that I trust in myself. I trust in having abilities that I can work it out. And I trust that good things happen to good people. And if you do the right thing, the the right thing is going to happen. So, yeah, I don't really have a motto, but maybe lots of mottos. (laughs) I love that, you know, what your brand represents and how that you just explained that I'm not perfect. I'm not ugly. I'm just imperfect on the outside. I'm not ugly. I'm just imperfect on the outside. Wow. You could really adopt and use that in Every part and every aspect of your life. I mean, that represents beautiful, Mm. ugly duck, fine foods, but that's a powerful message to all of us, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And your family, are they still in Germany? Yes, they are, yes. Are they proud of their... Yeah, you know, bringing their heritage in yes. some ways and the and the history of your family and bringing it to our country to Australia. Who knows? Maybe one day you'll be exporting back to Germany with some of these incredible recipes where they're held from and the inspiration I've held from. About that, you know, talking about food miles and sustainability. I don't believe that exporting a pot of relish is the answer. I think what I would love to do is set up a kitchen in another country or in another area with our recipes and go and source their local food waste mm. and turn it into their local product. Yeah. So, and maybe, yeah. maybe you know, there's countries in the world where they are, you know, quite poor. There's, you know, there's areas in, in the world and regions and countries where the people are poor and they're looking for resourceful ways to consume protein. Mm. Yeah. And one of those protein sources is crickets. Yes. Yeah. And I find that completely fascinating because that's a complete that's a whole story about sustainability and being able to consume protein in a in a in a different way mm-hmm. that's not really harsh on the planet. Mind you, I can't imagine eating a cricket. Poor little thing. I, but, I, um, I taste but, you know, maybe you could it. have a cricket 
relish, Ooh. you know, and go and source, source, you know, and be able to also feed people in poorer regions maybe. I love that idea. Cricket's not relish. just cricket, is it? Huh? <gasps> yes, Roz, bring me the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. I absolutely, look, I can't, I know I keep saying it, but it is true in my heart. I love your story. I'm so proud to have you on the shelves in our stores. I love everything about what, I think why I resonate so deeply with your story is because I remember growing up on the farm and just, I, I just really feel connected to, to what you're doing and what you're creating and you're turning something that's would normally waste into something that is absolutely beautiful that you can serve with pride and it has an incredible story behind it. So best wishes and congratulations on all your success. I just absolutely cheering for you. Every part of the, if I just want to see your product go worldwide and I'll be right there <laughs> yes. cheering for you on the sidelines every step of the way. Oh, thank you, Ross. Thank you for your support over all those years. Like you are such a champion. Like you give all of us a chance and a start and you are building our futures. So that's that, beautiful. That means thing a lot. Say. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Ross. A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised, or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast. Brought to you by White's IGA.